Well, welcome to episode number three of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's Word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Nathan Johnson, and today we're going to start a mini-series looking at five ways to grow in your spiritual life. Let's dive in. Last year on the Deeper Christian website, I released a new book entitled The Five Pillars of Christian Growth. Now, to be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of the title. It reminds me of those self-help or prosperity preacher books like Three Keys to Financial Success or How to Grow Your Church in 32 Easy Steps or, or whatever. But when I stepped back and began to think of how do Christians grow spiritually, there seem to be five key areas we need to be intentional in if we desire to move forward in our spiritual walks with Jesus Christ. Over these next few episodes, I want to walk through these five pillars. Pillars that, if you implement them into your life, will cause you to grow spiritually. But here's the key. Intentionality. Sure, we will all be forced to change at some point in our lives, but the key to truly having a triumphant and vibrant Christian life is being intentional about our movement forward. If I want to know God's Word and be more intimate with Jesus this next year, then I must start now and be intentional about it. Let me give you a personal example. See, for a long time, I've been a bit chubby and I've had a hard time staying healthy. I've had a thousand excuses as to why I don't have much time to exercise or why eating healthy is difficult. But if I actually do want to lose the weight, have more mental clarity, increased energy, and a dozen other incredible health benefits this year, I can't just hope that I'll end up in smaller pants with less weight around my middle. See, after a while, you begin to realize that the excuse of, well, um, I'll start tomorrow, it never comes. If I want to be healthy at the end of this year, then I must start today and be intentional about living a healthy lifestyle daily. See, the same is true in our spiritual lives. If I desire to know God's word better, if I want to have a vibrant prayer life, if, if I want to live in daily triumph and victory, if, if I don't want to have any fear in sharing the gospel, and I want a greater intimacy and relationship with Jesus Christ, then I must be intentional starting today. So let's start with pillar number one. Pillar one is called worship him, and it's the pillar of daily living. It's interesting, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, I don't know what comes into your mind when you hear the word worship, but I, I, I go back to, you know, sitting in a church pew and, and open up a hymnal and, and singing these great songs. And once in a while, we'd sneak in a chorus, you know, and, and uh, I mean, it's just these, oh, it's just, it's singing. It's, it's, it's worship. In fact, you, you understand we, we get to church on a Sunday morning and, and the, and someone stands up and says, Hey, we've, we've entered in, stand up, let's worship. And what do we do? We sing. But what's interesting in scripture Singing and worship, though, yes, they're tied together, are not the one and the same thing. See, one of the ideas biblically is the idea of beholding. Imagine this incredible sunset and boy, the, the rays of sun are just glistening and the colors are so vibrant. Well, what happens? You, you, you open the blinds and you, you walk outside and you just, your mouth hangs open and, and you just, wow, this is amazing. And it's an utter, it's an expression that just bubbles up within you that just has to come out in the midst of beholding. And see, it's it's not a forced thing. We don't we don't have to twist your arm to say, wow, it's just, it just naturally comes out of us. See, it's that way with worship. 
that if I could truly see God who he, as, as he is, if, if I could truly see Jesus as, as he fully is, then man, I, I wouldn't have to twist your arm to worship. It would just, you would behold him. And in the midst of beholding, wow, something would just bubble up within you and burst forth out of your lips. And, and, and yes, that may be singing, but, but boy, you would just be in this overwhelming awe and, and just, you're, you're just, oh, declaring his goodness and his faithfulness and the, and the richness of all that he is. It's, see, there's this idea of beholding. What's kind of fun is the second idea of, of worship biblically, the, the Greek picture, the, all the Greek words paint pictures. I love that. And, and the picture in the Greek for, for worship is that of a dog licking his master's hand. It's the idea of kissing. I don't know if you ever had a dog, but what's really interesting about a dog is, see, a dog is just obsessed with their master. In fact, they're just bounding around and they just, they just can't just, they just can't stop kissing the master. And, and, and as the master leaves, leaves the house or the room, <clears throat> the, the dog is just waiting in anticipation. And it could only be even, even if it's just two minutes, when, when the, when the master walks back in, the dog is exuberant. It's like he's, I mean, it's been for wherever you've been all this time. And the dog is just excited and just rushes up to the master and begins to lick the master's hand. See, that's the idea of worship. Wouldn't it be neat if I could have that with Jesus? What, what, wouldn't it be just amazing if the relationship that I had with Jesus was like a dog licking his master's hand? And, and, I, don't, and I don't mean this in a literal sense, obviously, but wouldn't it be neat if I got so obsessed with Jesus that I just, all the time, I would just constantly behold him. And in the midst of beholding him, I would be so excited about who he is and all that he has done and accomplished and, and all that he is doing in the midst of my life. And in the midst of that, I, I would just... There would be an exuberance and an excitement and, and praise and worship would just gush forth out of my life. See, that's worship. Now, an interesting thought with worship as well, <clears throat> when you go back into the Old Testament, the idea of worship is usually associated with a physical location. For, for example, I would, you know, here I am a good Jew and, and I would go down to the temple or I go down to the tabernacle to do my worship. But see, something has changed in the New Testament. See, in the New Testament, worship isn't, I go down to a physical location. Worship is a spiritual thing. Uh, in, in John chapter 4, there's this great scene where Jesus uh, meets this woman at the well. And he's in Samaria, and, and they have this phenomenal conversation. But what I want to highlight is at the end of their conversation, uh, Jesus says this to the woman. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And he says in verse 23 of chapter 4, he says, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Isn't that interesting? That they will worship in spirit and in truth. And it seems like as you, as you move into the New Testament, that worship moves from a physical location concept into a, it's a daily lifestyle kind of a thing. I mean, you understand that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that, that we have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, when you look at Acts chapter 2 and, and Pentecost happens and the believers, what, what, what we call a Christian, is that they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. See, worship is no longer an activity where we go down to a church building and we sing these songs. Worship 
is a lifestyle that we continually live within. See, what would it look like if we continually beheld Jesus? What would it look like if we were the the, the, the dog who licked his master's hand and, and we were just obsessed and we were fully focused upon him and, and Jesus was our life and our lifestyle and, and he was the tone and he was the focus and he was, the, he was our delight and he was our obsession. And see, see, that is the life of a Christian. It's one of worship. But it's not worship done at a church where we sing songs. Yeah, by all means do that. But see, what would it look like if I lived a life of worship every moment of every day and I'm just living in an attitude and a tone of worship? Let's dive into a passage of scripture and maybe this will help flesh out this idea of worship even more. In John chapter 12, Jesus goes to Bethany and and goes to Lazarus and Mary and Martha's house. Now, Lazarus, he had just raised from the dead and obviously there's this big to-do about it. And it says that as Jesus was sitting at the table, Mary came with this jar of spikenard oil and Lily came and anointed his feet with the oil. It says that the fragrance Lily filled the entire house where they were staying. Now, in the middle of this scene, Judas looks over at Jesus and says, Jesus, uh, why are you allowing her to do this? Do, do you not realize that that jar of spikenard oil is worth so much money, it could be sold and given to the poor? Now, obviously, you know, that sounds quite like a noble thing to say, but we realize even from the passage, it says that Judas really didn't care about the poor at all, but because he was a treasurer, you know, he would just kind of help himself to some of the money. So obviously it was a selfish motive. I understand that. But there is something that Judas says that I think I would have been nodding in agreement to. See, see, Mary had this jar of spikenard oil. And, and of course, in, in our, in our mindsets, like, oh yeah, she had some perfume, but you need to realize that in this culture, it wasn't like it was just a jar of perfume. This was a very highly prized um, ointment. Uh, the, the spikenard stuff was so expensive. It, and, and oftentimes a, a woman would, as she saved up some money, you know, she would, she would buy this stuff. And a lot of times it would be used for um, her wedding and, and, you know, be used as a, as a festivity thing. But it was also used as almost a, like a, a, an emergency fund uh, as a backup plan, if you will. Why? Because it was worth a lot of money. It says in the passage that this jar of spikenard oil was worth a year's wages. Now, let me give you some context for this. If it was to, if we were to put this idea in our modern time, it says that the, the average income in America is about $50,000 a year, which is a lot of money in my mind. But imagine it's $50,000. Could you imagine a jar of perfume worth $50,000? That's incredible. And could you imagine the scene where here's Mary and she comes in at Jesus and she literally breaks open this jar of perfume, this ointment that's worth $50,000 and just spreads it and smears it and just wastes it on Jesus's feet. See, if I was sitting there, I would have been nodding my head with Judas saying, Jesus, are you crazy? This is $50,000. Do you know what we could do with $50,000? Some time ago, I was doing some substitute teaching and I was in this classroom with a whole bunch of ninth graders. So here they are, 14, 15 years old. And uh, there was one, one kid in particular that it didn't matter at what time of the year. He was always just, he was tan. He was bronze. He, he wore all the designer clothes. And, and uh, it was the middle of the winter time. And I'd substituted this class several times before this point. And here he was in the middle of winter time when, when everyone stayed inside from the cold. And everyone's kind of getting that pasty white look. But here he was just bronze and very tan. And uh, one day... I was kind of talking to him and a few of his friends and, and his friend says, Hey, uh, 
guess how much he spends on tanning every single year. And of course, I I don't tan, I, I burn. So I, I've the, the idea of going into a tanning salon and paying people to roast your body makes no sense in my mind. So so I have no idea what the costs are. I have no idea you know how expensive this stuff is, but. Um, so I, I basically looked at them and said, I have no idea. How much do you spend on tanning? Now, with a glimmer in his eye, he smiles and he says, I spend $10,000 a year on tanning. Now, I don't know about you, but my mouth hit the floor. I was like, $10,000 on tanning. I mean, can't you imagine? That's insane. And just as I was trying to get my mouth off the floor... He kind of smiled and says, well, guess how much my mom spends on tanning? And he said, my mom spends $15,000 a year on tanning. Could you imagine this family every year spends $25,000 on tanning? I mean, could you imagine the economy starts to slip and the father comes in one day to the dinner table and says, all right, guys, we need to make a decision. We've got to give something up in our budget. Is it going to be tanning or is it going to be food? I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is crazy. $25,000 for two people for tanning. Ah, it just blows my mind. See, that idea, that, that overwhelming, this makes no sense, this is utterly crazy, was going on in this passage. See, Judas and the disciples were looking at this scene where here's Mary and she just, she takes the most precious possession that she has and she literally comes and she breaks it before upon the feet of Jesus and she's worshiping. She's giving everything. See, and I would have looked at that and said, this makes no sense. This, hey, this is crazy. This is way too much money. Hey, we, we should have given this money to the poor. It's interesting that when you actually get into this passage and study it out a little bit in depth, this idea of the spikenard um, in the in the original language in Greek, there's a word that's not translated into our English, and and it's the Greek word that means faith. And when you when you look at it in the context, what it's actually saying is that the spikenard itself was the very object that Mary put her faith in. See, the, the spikenard was the backup plan for Mary. Uh, Lazarus had recently died, and you know, of course, obviously they're they're grief stricken. What is Mary and Martha going to do? See, how, how, are they going to, how are they going to be able to survive the next several years? See, Mary would have said, oh, I, uh, I mean, obviously it's a devastating situation, but hey, I have my emergency fund. I, I have this, this spike nard sitting on the shelf. And then, hey, if the, you know, the ox cart breaks down and we have to get a new tire or, or you know, hey, we got to buy some food just in case for emergencies, hey, I could go and, and sell some of my spike nard. See, it was the object of her faith. It's what she put her confidence in. It was, it was that which she, she had trust and, and surety within. Now, do you not see what's happening in the passage? Mary takes the object of her faith, the spikenard, and she literally goes over to Jesus and literally breaks the object of her faith and pours it lavishly upon the feet of Jesus. And she says, Jesus, it's, in, in essence, it's a declaration saying, Jesus no longer going to allow this to be the object of my faith. No longer am I going to put my security in this spikenard. Jesus, you are my object of faith. You are going to be that which is my surety and my assurance and my confidence and my and in my trust. And, and hey, when times go bad, Jesus, I'm going to cling to you. Hey, Jesus, when, when Lazarus gets a sick and he dies again, I'm going to, hey, I'm going to cling to you. And no longer am I going to have my emergency fund. Hey, I'm going to have you. 
Now, again, there's nothing wrong with having an emergency fund, but you realize the spikenard was her object of faith. It was that which she put her confidence in. And she was literally exchanging that to put her confidence in Jesus. Where are you at? What is it that you put your confidence in? Where do you put your faith? Is it, is it your education? Is it your heritage and your upbringing? Is it, is it, is it, your, is it your financial portfolio in the bank? What, what, what is it that you put your confidence in? Hey, when the day goes bad and then just the economy kind of shrinks, what, what kind of gives you that buoyancy? Is it, oh, I'm, I'm okay. I, I've got my you know, 401k or, oh, I'm okay. I've got my education. Or is it, oh, it's okay. I've got Jesus. See, Jesus wants to be our object of faith. Jesus wants to be our obsession. Obsession. Jesus wants to be that which we put our confidence within. See, Jesus wants us to take whatever it is that we've been holding on to all this time and literally break it upon his feet and literally now cling to him all the tighter and say, Jesus, it is you and you alone that I'm going to hold tight to. And what is so amazing in the story is that when Mary broke open the jar of spikenard oil, it says that the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And you realize that when you break your life out upon the feet of Jesus and Jesus becomes the very essence of the very one whom you worship, he becomes the delight of your life. He's the one you put your confidence within. It's like your life begins to have this, um, the, this, this perfume about it, which is all about Jesus. In fact, Paul even talks about in the book of Corinthians that, that you are the perfume of Christ. And you're really, in, in essence, you were, you were broken out before him. And now the whole world can smell Jesus. Why? Because you've been broken before him at his feet. Do you have that in your daily lifestyle? Do, do you have a daily lifestyle that is a dog licking his master's hand? Hey, do you have a lifestyle that's just obsessed with Jesus? Do, do you have a lifestyle that is just focused upon him? And in fact, the very thing that you used to hold tight to and it was the object of your object of your faith and that which you put your confidence in has now been really given over to Jesus so that Jesus is now the one you worship. Jesus is the object of your faith. Jesus is the one you put your trust in. Jesus is the one whom you're confident within. See, we are called to live in a, in a lifestyle of worship. And it's not worship in the sense of singing. It's worship in the sense of, oh, embracing Jesus. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, we are to be living sacrifices we must yield our lives, our rights, and all that we have and offer them to Jesus like Mary pouring out her spikenard upon his feet. Yes, it's extravagant, but that radiant, that, that extravagant worship literally filled the entire house with the smell of the perfume. And just like that, our lives will radiate the perfume of heaven. Oh, what an idea. See, worship is not an activity as much as it is a lifestyle. Yes, you should sing. Yes, you should praise. Yes, you know, um, praises should always be upon our lips. But worship should also define our actions, our thoughts, our words, our motives in our daily living. Again, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, 
Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. See, what if you kept your focus on Jesus in the everyday moments of life? What if you could continually behold his goodness and remember all that he has done in your life? See, he he has forgiven your sins. He's rescued you from the pit of hell. He's adopted you in as a son or a daughter. He's seated you in heavenly places. See, what what if we realize that that Jesus is our daily victory and strength in every circumstance? See, see, what if we would realize that that he is the He's the avenue through which we can have victory through every temptation. See, see, what if we could realize that in no matter the situation or circumstance, that, that he is able, as we talked about in the last episode. See, if we truly beheld him, wouldn't every moment of our every single day be filled with worship and praise unto Jesus? See, wouldn't we continually live in, in awe and amazement and gratitude of all that he has done? See, could, could anyone or anything just press us down and depress us when we lived with Jesus as the focus of our lives? See, to grow in our relationship with Jesus, we must worship. But again, no one should have to make you worship. See, this, this isn't, hey, let's bang the drums louder and, and kind of whip you up into a spiritual fervor. See, this isn't, hey, do you get the goosebumps and, and the emotional adrenaline going? See, it's none of that kind of stuff. This is, hey, would you... Would you see him as he truly is? And as you see him and behold him, you just couldn't help yourself. You would just worship. And remember, worship isn't merely singing. It's a lifestyle. See, everything that comes out of your life should be and can be done in an attitude of worship. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. If you're interested in that book that I mentioned, The Five Pillars of Christian Growth, it's available for free as a download on the deeperchristian.com website. Please go to deeperchristian.com and click on free resources at the top right to become a member of the community and have access to not only that book, but other great resources. For show notes of this episode, including an outline and links to other great resources and articles, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 003 for episode number three. I look forward to next time when we continue our mini-series on five ways to grow in our spiritual lives. Until then, know I'm cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ.